0: This week on the adaptation game, who is the man and who is the monster? The show where a couple of uh, nimrod, poop dum-dums with no skills whatsoever, practical or otherwise, in and out of the bedroom. What? Decide. <laughs> <laughs> Just decide. That
1: was Jesus Christ, man,
0: it gets more deprecating every episode.
1: <laughs> What bearing does this have on our, our pitchability? <laughs> yeah.
0: It's just the facts need to be known. Oh. The, uh, <laughs> they decide to adapt various media properties into other forms. I am your host, Mr. Matthew Schott. And with me, as always, is my intrepid co-host, Mr. Chris Sokawa.
2: I'm not affiliated with you. <laughs> we we already have heard
0: from this week's guest. You know him, and if you know him, to know him is to love him. Mr. Sam Kessler. Kessler. Hey, guys. Sam is here with us to tackle this week's topic, which is an interesting one. (laughs) This week, we're joined by Sam so that we can tackle a very interesting concept and perhaps somewhat uh, ill-defined. Inspired by Disney's recent uh, reveal of Cruella. The Cruella de Vil origin story that casts her in a sympathetic light alongside their just general trend of making films that make their villains, uh, uh, formerly iconic villains, sympathetic a la your um, the 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 Maleficent, Maleficent one. Uh, are there more than that? I guess maybe it's just that those two. So far, just that one. But it's clear that this is a trend that they're interested in pursuing. Further oh, the Walt they Disney a, one, too. The Walt Disney well,
1: one. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> well, we're not even getting into
0: the Descendants oh, here. Oh, God, yes. Oh, Descendants it's a whole one. franchise.
1: Descendants 2. Can I
0: forget Descendants 3? Yes, three? of course, the Descendants franchise that cast their villains in a sympathetic light. So it is commonplace. And a sexual light, because they fuck to have all those mm. kids. Oh, yeah, and I'm sure that our pitches today are going to get pretty sexual. Oh. Um <laughs> So... We have that to look forward to, uh I can think of at least one that will so Uh-oh. um <laughs> uh, so yes, we are going to be adapting um various iconic villains uh in news stories that give you the true story of of how actually perhaps they were the heroes the whole time. So uh, before we get into this, I want to talk a little bit about uh, this new Cruella film because we have so little details about yeah. it. And I want to hear, Chris, Sam, what do you think this movie is going to do to make the uh, woman who wants to murder some dogs uh, a sympathetic hero? Chris, we'll start with you.
2: I mean, I just have to go shot by shot in my mind through the, through the new dropped trailer. Uh, there's She's uh, sort of unassuming fashionista. Maybe there's a little bit of cutthroat sort of uh, Devil Wears Prada action going on. She gets betrayed. She maleficently shows up at this uh, at this party and she burns her whole coat to reveal a sexy little red number underneath. Maybe that's the, supposed the to cat. Communicate. The Katniss Everdeen maneuver. as yeah, they call it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so right before she's given her bow, she reveals her sexy self. Uh, she has what pro- pro- troubled me in the origin of this character and, and is shared by my other character, but better supported by the animation is that before she gets evil, presumably, she has like sort of like Annie red hair. Um, that really stuck out to me in this trailer. I'd never seen that before. Um, she, there's a lot of her riding on a moped, which I guess is like inherently European. Um, she, she, we see her entering DeVille Manor. We see her burning down a building, her committing arson on camera. And mm-hmm, then writing mm-hmm. away with tears in her eyes. I do not know how we bridge that gap. I'm excited to see it, partially because it's free on my TV. Uh, if I were to attend a movie theater, I would not be seeing it though. So that's sort of mm-hmm. where I'm at. Uh, she and not only did she want to kill the dog, she had stuff that was Dalmatian. She had she had killed dogs. She had taken lives of dogs and and pets and shit. I believe it. Uh, canonically she has, she has, she wears mink traditionally, but she has some Dalmatian stuff, I think in her house, whether it was an accident of a background animator or what, but it's not, I don't think it's our first time at the rodeo with these Dalmatians. Correct me if I'm wrong.
0: Now I, I, it's been a while since I've seen 101 Dalmatians. I think my memory, I think my memory is more clear of the live action remake with, with Hugh Laurie and... Glenn Close and um wait, is Hugh Laurie in that? I think he's in yeah, that. He's, he's like uh, one or of the burglars. Jasper, yeah. And and uh Ron Weasley's dad, Mr. Weasley. Um it's been so that my memory I feel like is is more of that one than of the animated film. But uh I mean, was Cruella Carilla Deville her backstory that she was a fashion icon? Was that her like thing? I thought she was just like a rich lady who wanted some dog coats. I think she was like a fashionista, right? She was, I think. I think in the books, she just went to school oh, with In the, the, books. the wife. In the books? Of,
2: What's this?
0: Well, oh, I'm sorry. Are what we are not the talking I about, even the, know about the, books? the books? What is this yeah, about it's the ba- books? It's based, on a, it's based on a book, The 101 Dalmatians. What a fucked
2: up book, huh?
0: I think she was the like snooty rich prep
1: school classmate of the girl that the like guy who owns the Dalmatians. Yeah, Perdita's mom. Something.
0: The thing that baffles me about the trailer is the trailer seems to be presenting Cruella DeVille as as if she's like the Joker, as if she is this sort of like criminal mastermind who is sort of like taking the world by storm, whereas my memory of that film is that her big plan is. I want to kill these dogs, so I'm going to hire two bumbling goons to put the dogs in a sack, which is not like criminal mastermind planning there. That's not like a really cool plan. And it doesn't even work. She's outsmarted by a bunch of puppies and and she gets like knocked into the mud or something and gets dirty. Um, And she drives really
2: crazy. Don't forget that.
0: I I always just assumed that her hair was like that because she was old, that her hair was like going through the process of like turning white. Um, You know, it just happened to be like evenly, half and half. I think they just wanted to make an evil person.
1: They were like, let's draw someone who looks kind (laughs) of evil. And that's what they came up with. And in Disney,
0: there were no further questions were asked at that point. And I mean, like, when we're talking about the pantheon of Disney villains, I think Cruella de Vil has got to be one of the least compelling. I mean, you have, like, you know, gods and just, like, powerful sorcerers that are, like, you know, wielding evil magic. And then you just have some, like, random old rich woman who is just like, I want some dead dogs. But at the end of the
2: day, Matthew, what is more enduring and relevant in 2021 than a one percenter who thinks she can just walk up and down the streets of London all mm. over the rest of us. You know what I mean? Mm. You are. You are
0: right about that. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam, do you have any predictions for what you think will happen in this Cruella Deville movie?
1: Well, what I really want to see is for her to be justified in wanting to murder (laughs) these dogs. I want to see the dogs just committing atrocities, uh, scenes of these little puppies, like, stealing from people, uh, stealing from, like, poor children, you know? They're, like, out on the streets, and there's a poor orphan who's just, like, gotten an apple or something, and the puppies jump up and take the apple and run away. (laughs) Um, They're just, like,
2: rabid, feral dogs. (laughs) It's like, you deserve death
1: yeah I okay here's we got a city with a dog problem
0: and Cruella is the solution <laughs> here's, here's, here's my pitch uh, the dogs uh, uh, I think it's Pongo and Perdita is yes. the names of the two yes. uh, Dalmatian parents. Uh, they have. Uh, it's revealed that they have the Hitler gene, and that oh their my dogs God. will grow up. <laughs> to oh my be, dog. uh, they, These dogs will grow up to be genocidal monsters <laughs> unless they can be stopped now before it's too late. Co- uh,
1: so wait, is there time travel in this? Because <laughs> yes. like Michael yeah, Bean back,
2: and he's like, "You've got well, to it's kill Gorilla herself." It's is a time traveler. <laughs> David Fincher and uh, and uh, Stephen King, so they're working together on it. It's uh, there's some Cujo cameos in it's the background. Like a,
0: uh, it's like a Days of Future Past situation where we have like Sentinel, like a spotted uh, which Dalmatian we all wanted Sentinels. more from
2: there. I bet it. I bet at that blow filled meeting where they imagine this picture is just this, this guy Eisner's just shaking at the end of the table and he's like. There's two things I know that I want to do before I give up these reigns. I want more days of future past, and I want a poacher to be the hero of my movie.
0: Uh yeah, no, I mean we have we have the uh, we have these like spotted sentinels that are hunting down mankind on the orders of their dog overlords because like there's 101 emperors of earth and they are these these Dalmatian puppies. Um so that's that's my pitch. Uh, so but before we, we we move into the pitch zone and and into what is sure to be some illuminating and fascinating uh, reimaginings of, of iconic Disney villains, uh, I just want to know, what are your guys' favorite Disney villains? Uh, you know, they have such a um, rogues gallery uh, uh, at their disposal. Chris, what's your favorite Disney villain?
2: I really my favorite to my favorite of all time is probably Captain Hook. Uh, cause his voice goes really high and funny and he's always like, just, he just wants to get like a haircut for most of the film. And, uh, so I like that. Um, and I, uh, actually my second place is the walrus from the walrus and the carpenter. That's a beautiful, but brief scene stealing performance. And then my third one has to be Hades, Uh, not the man himself, James Woods, who's uh, an atrocious, nightmarish man, Trump supporter. But uh, I like how Devil May Care, he plays the character. It's a beautiful performance. It's unlike any Disney villain to date. um, And I really like that. Yeah. How How about you, Sam? Well, then Hades is portrayed memorably by Cheyenne Jackson Oh <laughs> <and laughs> yes, no! No, um, no, he
1: in an oddly sexual no. musical number with his daughter. Uh, his daughter by Maleficent, in fact. Uh, no, I gotta go with. Um, I gotta go with Scar. Yeah, there's something Irons. just so syrupy villainy about Jeremy Irons' voice in that. It's such a he's such a good like elegant. Uh, unscrupulous but but feels really suave villain. I love Be Prepared. Mm. What a song! Um, and for number two, I gotta go with Shen Yu from Yeah,
0: <laughs> uh, because he writes uh, a, 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 a man of few words, a man of few words,
2: very powerful.
0: Uh, interesting choices. Um I guess, I mean, you know, my mind would immediately go to your classic Disney villains, you know, your your Xehanort, your Zemnis, uh, 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 organization 13, all of these classic and iconic Disney characters. But uh, I think uh, uh, probably not surprising Sam at all. Uh, I'm gonna have to say uh, Jafar. Um, I mean, he turned into a big snake, and I like that. I like that he turned into big snake. <laughs> I
2: like that. Uh, I like I like
0: I, see. <laughs> I like. I like that. It's something that all the adaptations of Aladdin from the Broadway musical and the live-action remake just can't seem to get right is can't the capture big snake. Um, they can I like, get a
2: slave man that comes out of a piece of pottery, but they can't get the fucking snake at the end.
0: Uh, I, like, I like that he dressed up like old man and uh trick aladdin uh that's i'm a big fan of that uh he's just a he's a crafty fellow uh i
2: like that he is defeated by his own stupidity his his (laughs) uh he, he his religion is sandy cave
0: yes of course um he, he you know he follows the teachings of the cape of wonders um so he's great uh he's a lot of fun um i like uh ursula uh she's she's kind of fun mostly i just like her death because it's very uh <laughs> very over he's the top under the, yeah uh it's quite it's quite something uh but yeah i mean nobody really beats jafar for me he's just so uh and also like jafar um you know, people always talk about how Jafar is is a gay coded villain, and uh, I never felt that way because when he gets that kiss from Jasmine, he he's into it. He's oh, like, he yeah, has he's, he's he's like going like underneath this. that underneath <laughs>
2: that tunic. There's something going on. There's a stirring. He's experiencing the stirrings from the uh, absolutely. I mean, he's got this uh, big snake. <laughs> big snake. <laughs> he,
0: he does turn into big Turns snake. He's there snake. Under him. <laughs>
2: Uh, I think also Ratcliffe is also great. I mean, it's oh, controversial because yeah. Pocahontas is such a painful, you know, part of our history and not necessarily the best handled one. But like, holy shit, Dig, Dig, Dig is such a, a beautiful song.
0: Uh, It's mine, mine, mine. First of all. It's oh, so sorry. For a... <laughs> forgive me. Forgive um... me. It's a beautiful double entendre, and yeah, no, I'm a big fan of Governor Radcliffe. I think if they were, if there was any Disney villain that I could personally portray, I think it is my destiny to one day play Governor Radcliffe. Oh, I would in the uh, I'd buy those opening actions re- in remake, uh, or perhaps in a Broadway musical. I would love to play, like uh, look, uh, casting agents. I'm here, I'm ready to be your Governor Radcliffe, I'm ready to hang out with that little pug, and um fuel a race war I guess Um, (laughs) (laughs) oh boy maybe I should dial back on that a little bit Uh, no race war was last episode (laughs) yeah no we did
1: before we go uh, I need to put in a word for Yzma and the Yzma Kronk duo oft overlooked but uh, so good I mean so good
0: you know, it's often overlooked the importance of a good henchman, and I think Kronk is king of the henchmen. I don't think you're going to find a better henchman out here. I don't want to hear anything about Smee or any of that shit. It's Kronk or nothing.
2: Captain. <laughs> it's Kronk. It's Kronk or go home because he's, he's, is he's just the king. The droopy dog actor that got lost on his way out of the studio lot. And <laughs> he is, is droopy dog. That is Captain. a good point. Captain. <laughs> Uh, okay. So I think this is a good
0: time to uh, uh, transition into the pitch zone where pitches are punched so that we can really get cooking on some of these uh, spicy, spicy reimaginings and um, uh, uh, just rewriting history with these pitches. So here we go with the classic pitch zone theme. You know it, you love it, and it's playing right now. In fact, I'm talking over the beginning. It's pitch time! Welcome to the pitch zone where pitches are punched and punches are pitched and we are going to just dive right in uh we're going to uh if you look to the center of the arena right now you can see slowly rising from the floor on a, on a rising platform we have the star player himself uh jersey number 33 uh just like the legendary Larry Bird. And no, I don't know that because I have information about basketball. Mm-hmm. I know that because of the LFO song, Summertime, uh, Summertime Girls, where they say uh, the great Larry Bird jersey, 33. So here he is. Uh, first up of the
2: pitcher's mound, Mr. Chris Okawa. Chris, batter up. Thank you very much. Uh, so I will acknowledge, like we said at the top of the show. We do have tall orders, each of us, um, very interesting characters. We're commuting from uh, irrevocable evil to uh, redemptive protagonist. Uh, so my character is uh, Madame Medusa from The Rescuers. Uh, why did I pick her? I asked myself the same question after I started rewatching The Rescuers. The Rescuers is a very strange picture. The Rescuers begins, uh, just I have to give you a little bit of context as to where our film will leave off and where it's leading to in order for us to appreciate the prequel properly. Um, So uh, The Rescuers opens at the United Nations, uh, where each of these mice sort of tumble out of their respective uh, stereotypically dressed countrymen's uh, luggage. And they all scuttle into this little hole, uh, and a janitor welcomes them and bows and whatnot. And uh, this is, uh, it's the uh, Mouse Coalition for, um, I think it's, uh, I wrote over some of my notes, uh, Queen and Country, I think. Um, and they uh they're an it, it's basically a model, it's a UN for mice. Um, and uh we get we follow the uh representative from Hungary, which is the sexy mom from uh uh the Aristocats, and uh an unassuming janitor, Bernard, a hapless janitor. They uh ride a albatross to the bayous of New Orleans and rescue a hapless orphan, uh Penny, from the clutches of Madame Medusa. Who insists on being called Auntie Medusa, and uh, which is the title of our picture? So, uh, if anything about the Cruella trailer was to be taken away, it's that these films—I mean, you see it with Joker, you see it with Maleficent—these films are strongest as a trailer. They're not strong as features. (laughs) They're not. They're actually quite punishing to sit through. That's fair. But they're very sexiest <laughs> trailers, so I felt that I needed to give you the trailer and build upon it, like I did with Pinball. This is not going to be a pattern of my pitches, uh, but uh, it is important to me that I I give you the trailer bait that you're asking for with this prompt. So um, what we start with uh, in black with spooky jazz, a singular Basin Street clarinet plays maybe a little bit of, like, uh, you know, reverb and whatnot, making it ghostly. I don't really give a shit. Um, Winding up into a fever pitch over the course of our minute-and-a-half trailer, uh, which you'll see uh, as portrayed in these different vignettes as they get increasingly intense and shorter clips of them. So our first uh, vignette is a little girl with clementine orange hair. She looks up at a night star in the bayou, petting a plush crocodile. This is very important. Um, So... Our second vignette is the same little girl hiding underneath a, a blanket, reading the legends of Heracles and all of the uh, the beautiful uh, feminist messages of the uh, legend of Medusa. Uh, and uh, she's reading it f- like sort of hurriedly under a sheet before the sheet is teared off of her. Uh, uh, and this isn't her only sheet. This isn't like that sort of terrible, terrible thing. This is just like an extra sheet over her bed. Um, it's torn off of her by a, um, a menacing, misshapen man in overalls. Third vignette, those same rough hands forcing a fishing rod uh, into uh, hands framed by longer, older looking orange braids. Uh, so, vignette five, uh, cut to her standing in the bayou rain, uh, a, a, wa- looking down at a sort of makeshift grave, and tosses in her copy of The Legends of Heracles. Vignette six, tight shot on the eyeline of a determined teen Medusa as she approaches a half-sunken riverboat, uh, cut into her looting the boat and selling uh, her wares by the side of the road. Vignette seven, the music pauses for the first time as a portly young man in a white suit, resembling a young Josh Gad uh, with a pink dress shirt. Uh, we'll probably do this with CGI to really upset people uh trots out to her and he says he's like well would you like to come inside in the style of mr sloop uh uh, vignette eight uh the sequence increases in speed we see like with a bunch of like slaps of like uh war drums and those different things that we just add into trailers uh to make them exciting she slaps the nra badge which is actually featured in the film multiple times She slaps an NRA badge on the on the teller counter of her new thrift shop. Uh, we see Sloop painting a sign uh, behind her. Uh, uh, now uh, sit and then. Uh, okay, and then uh, the the sign reads uh, "Madame Medusa's Thrift Shop uh, Boutique Emporium," which is the footage that's fall that's uh, portrayed behind me as I pitch this on Skype. And then uh, the the one of the final vignettes is uh, she, her sitting down to her work, smiling lasciviously, revealing her yellowed teeth, giggling, and uh, and uh, she you hear the phone ring. She answers it, as is the footage right behind my head this moment, and she says, "Welcome to Medusa's shop boutique." Uh, and uh in her sickly sort of faux pleasant voice. And then a watery fade in from the back. A la, the very bayou that she buried that hateful alcoholic man in, Auntie Medusa, coming this summer. So <clears throat> that's our trailer. Uh let's get some first reacts on the trailer.
0: Okay. I I need uh I have a clarifying question. Um now I have seen the Rescuers Down Under countless times. It's, it's a, a classic it's a it's a beautiful film. I am aware that it's a different film, uh, but I, I have not seen I have not seen The Rescuers. Uh, I always, oh, really? as a kid. I, I as a kid, I thought the original Rescuers looked ugly and I didn't want to watch.
2: It, it. is ugly. So, you, see so you can see behind me. There's <laughs> like there's sketch lines like flying through her hair in the frames like they did not finish this film very well.
0: So, well, here's my question is is now as somebody who's unfamiliar with the character of Madame Medusa, what are her crimes? What is she? What does she do in the movie that is uh, that that makes her a a villain?
2: It's kind of like she's kind of like a Miss Hannigan. She uses this young girl. She adopts this young girl from an orphanage, uses her to descend into this tiny little narrow passageway into an old pirate's cave in the bayou, (laughs) uh, which we'll get to. And okay. uh, in order to retrieve the sacred devil's eye, a multimillion dollar uh, diamond uh, from an old pirate. And she, for some reason, needs a child from another part of the country. Um, and she she lowers the child mm-hmm. in there. And uh, she's very rough with the child. There's I mean, that's why I picked this one is because it's kind of irredeemable because it's kind of like there's like. You don't get a sense that she's well-fed the child or that she sleeps all through the night. There's a lot of slamming of doors. When the child tries to confront Medusa, she's, like, taking off her uh, eyelashes and all this stuff and trying to be really nice and unassuming. Um, But, yeah, they basically use a child to try and retrieve Pirate's treasure. The rescuers, of course, being mice, uh, connect with this child. Um, And uh, there's this great side plot uh, with this alcoholic mouse who keeps drinking this triple uh, x uh jug right uh and it make every time someone drinks from it their eyes go bright or red and then uh they cough out, <coughs> they cough out um they cough out smoke black smoke so this is uh, throughout the film this side plot uh is used to fuel a, a hovercraft which again we feature in the trailer you know it's trailer bait Uh, it's Mm -hmm, used mm -hmm. to heal a dying dragonfly, it's used to motivate this alcoholic uh, amongst other characters, like revive characters and recall them to life. So uh, this side plot, I literally wrote this without looking at the screen for the side plot, because it has no import on our story, and it actually drags on a good 20 minutes after we've resolved our central conflict. Um, So it's a real grade A piece of cinema.
0: So, okay, um, and she, so, so she's basically just an abusive uh, parent. She's who a child is, abuser. She's a child abuser that's thwarted by a couple of mice uh, yes. riding around in a little sardine can.
2: Okay. Well, right. and I, and they're friends. There's a there's <laughs> a gopher and an alcoholic mouse and, and an albatross. Don't count them. And out. she's
0: got she's got pet like crocodiles or something.
2: She has two pet crocodiles, Nero, Nero okay. and Brutus, that will come in here in a bit. But that's why it's important that she there's also a relationship to this plush that the little girl Penny has. She ends up right, hiding right, right. the diamond in the plush, uh, and it became sort of becomes sort of like the nuclear mm. football for the end, the finale of the of the picture.
0: Okay, so I feel like I have a good picture of who this woman is now. Uh, uh, Sam, do you have any questions before he digs in?
1: She's mean. She has crocodiles. She steals a jewel. That, uh, that's, that's
0: yeah. It, we that's we we got it. We got it. Excellent. All right, let's, let's, let's dig in. Let's hear the. Let's let's dig in.
2: So basically some central tenets of Medusa's narrative that I wanted to beautify, right? Like for, for Maleficent, they looked at, they're like, ah, she feels left out. Let's just stretch that out for another 300 minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> mm. So I was like, what is the central tenet that I can beautify for if following the Disney formula? And it's this desire for, for beautifying the, the irredeemable, ironically, like uh, your, your tra- cash for your trash. Sort of like other men, another man's trash is another person's treasure. Um, so that's sort of a theme for this picture. So uh, it's basically a tale of an abused daughter of the bayou, uh, an orphan of alcoholism turned scavenger. Uh, she's a friend of some of the critters of the bayou, the crueler critters that she can identify with. Perhaps she sees her parents reflected in them. Uh, and there's a scene in particular where she saves two baby crocodiles from uh carrion birds, and these crocs, of course, become the henchmen Brutus and Nero uh being a bayou child, she has a stuffed plush of a of a crocodile she's primed to befriend these types of creatures, and she's very fascinated with how they work and how they live, and they too, if you know uh uh and not cryptozoology but just zoology uh the, the crocodiles are a bit of a, a bit of scavengers too folks that live in the bayou and animals that live in the bayou are very much scavengers it's not easy pickings so uh she has a love uh oh no she has a love for reading beaten out of her by her father in many scenes um and in in favor of morning fishing and late night crawfishing which is their uh, sort of bread and butter for the two of them. But not before she reads R.L. Stevenson's Treasure Island. All right. She has two books in her whole bookshelf, and that's a whole scene. It's like a just a barren bookshelf of nothing. Maybe, maybe bait and tackle, these, these symbols of her, of her servitude. Mm-hmm. But at the base of it are her things. Legends of Heracles, where she encounters the feminist tale which in real life is a very beautiful feminist tale of medusa if you actually want to go home and read it folks maybe learn something it's really lovely and so she takes on this name this identity of medusa uh it's one who rises from the ashes and then uh the second one is arl stevenson's treasure island uh, which primes her to become uh a uh looter and pawn shop icon in town uh, after her father's untimely death mind you if you're a fan of the show, you know that I am a prisoner to my Sharpie notes. I'm just reading what I wrote on the page. Uh, so if some of it doesn't line up with my preface, forgive me. Now, uh, why does she get mean? This was my question, right? Why does she get mean? Why does she get mean? How do, you, how do you justify a poacher? How do you justify a child abuser? My answer was she doesn't in her estimations, all right? Upon a rewatch, Penny. <laughs> Looks a striking amount like Medusa. They have the same hair color. They both have a fondness for animals. They have a, there's a few parallels there. I'm sure it was purely on accident at this point. Disney was just churning it out in between building Disneyland. So Medusa, okay, so, so this next bit, Disney, I'm, I'm defending this in, in advance. Disney has done this in multiple films, including The Odd Life of Timothy Green and the more successful Up. Medusa is barren. All right. Medusa cannot have children. And so as she grows fonder of Sloop, Sloop is the man who gave her her livelihood essentially by providing the space and the retail space for her to have her thrift shop. They become intimate and they want to have children. They want to have a family. They want to create what she calls a little helper. And uh, she finds out she's infertile. She's wrecked by this. She pines for a daughter and to teach her the rich craft of salvaging and looting sunken steamboats. And uh, gradually this longing and frustration, that is our spiral. That is our, you know, dancing down the stairs Joker bit. Is she is just like, she's fixated on this, lo- and it also comes from an internal loneliness, right? Maybe we cut back to like moments of her childhood and longing for an ally, and so that's what she's projecting onto this potential child, and that's sort of what twists her, makes her, bends her, makes her a little bit uh, odd, uh, and and at desperation. Um, is really what we end up seeing in the rescuers where she's kind of manic and she's like kind of nice and motherly towards uh, Penny in some scenes. And in some scenes she has a shotgun pointed at Penny and her lover Sloop. Um, And so uh, the film ends uh, with the discovery of the pirate cave and she starts sort of like crying to herself, but in that sort of creepy crying that you see in both Joker and, uh, Corella, because again, it's all trailer bait. Uh, and, you gotta, you gotta have the scene. <laughs> and Sloop, played by Joshua Gad, uh, in his white suit with his classic. And the fans, the fans. I left them out of a lot of this pitch. They're gonna know. They're gonna be like, oh yeah, oh this is how that happened. I knew it. Oh my god, I can't <laughs> believe it. They just, if they just if they knew. And so Sloop is in his white suit with his beautiful uh, pink button down. And he says, my dear, are you upset? And then none other than Phoebe Waller Bridges herself, our Auntie Medusa, (laughs) driven to insanity by her longing for a child and her lust for treasure, says, no, my sweet bungler, a classic line. The fans will clap for that one. (laughs) <laughs> it's time uh-huh. we got a little help as we see the camera pans over her shoulder and then into the depths of this tiny child size hole which brings us to the opening beats of the rescuers and that is my pitch for the film Auntie Medusa starring Phoebe Waller-Bridges opposite Josh Gad thoughts
0: so um your movie is 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 going right into The Rescuers, as we understand it. This is a prequel, basically, that recontextualizes uh, uh, The Rescuers, although it sounds like it doesn't really recontextualize it that much. It just makes it clear that this is a cycle of abuse
2: that yes. is uh, yes. uh, continuing. Well, I, mean, I think it's important for me, outside of comedy, to reiterate to folks out there, if we have children listening or um, future parents listening, there is no justification for child abuse, and I don't want to even jokingly pretend that that is possible. But we can understand this character more richly. I mean, like that Butt tra- is doing a lot of heavy lifting. In, that sense. <laughs> in the trailer for Cruella, She she's a dog murderer and arsonist, and we get this from the trailer, right? There's going to be worse stuff she does in the movie. That is irri- those are crimes. <laughs> we cannot (laughs) we cannot
1: well let's not get into how
2: maleficent
1: (laughs) uh
0: put someone to
1: sleep for a hundred
0: years she takes over the kingdom in that movie i mean it's sleeping beauty
2: we cannot these are irrevocable (laughs) crimes okay i'm not here to tell you that medusa is a nice lady i'm here to offer additional uh context To the tune of maybe you'll pay 11 extra dollars to have Disney Plus Premium. That's my job. That's why it's brought in.
0: Um, Excuse me. Uh, Excuse me. This is uh, Martin from the uh, Marketing Expectations Department. Oh, yes, of course, Martin. Uh, now, uh, Christopher, you seem to be operating under something of a delusional state. Oh, shit. In thinking that uh, you seem to be uh, thinking that the American public and the uh, and world public at large is clamoring for uh, a rescuer's movie. <laughs> you seem to be operating that there is just a, a unsatisfied uh, uh, network of rescuer fans <laughs> who have yet to be serviced and are going to be clamoring at all of these references martin (laughs) Uh, and i I think that that you may be mistaken on that
2: point martin uh, i appreciate that i think that there's been a disconnect between the pitch department and the assignation department aaron from assignations greeted me on the way in we draw straws martin i don't have any love for this terrible film i drew a straw and it said auntie medusa in quotes okay all right. And I will probably I know I'll be fired after this does not get picked up by the already thirsty, thirsty Disney plus team. I mean, I mean, I, it has to be a rotten pitch to be passed by Disney plus and it will. And I, I recognize that, Martin, and I appreciate you bringing to light the the lack of interest that will just, you know, it, 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 it'll present itself. But yes, no, I don't even like the rescuers, Martin. I agree with you.
0: I would have personally been more interested in a pitch about the uh, the mean Australian man from. Uh, the Isn't Rescuers he so Down good, Under. Martin? He's
2: so good, <laughs> Joanna. I've missed so many characters off of that that little poacher man. He's he is incredibly engaging, but I felt like it was cheap to do a to do a, a a villain origin of a sequel without properly addressing the source material. I mean, there is no Rescuers Down Under without Rescuers, but I will. Mentioned that the rescuers was so confident at the end of their film that they already set themselves up for a, a a sequel. They're at the end of it; they get their next dispatch to Australia, and they were just like, "Fuck it, man! Like we can do anything. We made some, we made some rich cats, poor cats, and we had an Asian cat that played chopsticks on the piano with chopsticks. No one's gonna stop us, you know. It was that I mean, era. It was that era you know. of Disney."
0: You, you couldn't, you couldn't get enough of the rescuers. As a child, I did believe that the Rescuers Down Under was the only Rescuers movie. Uh, before <laughs> learning about the Rescuers, the, the original, I, I was b- totally convinced that there was no previous adventure; that it was just the Rescuers Down Under. And um, I, I choose to continue living in that reality. I, uh, I will
2: s- join you in that after I am let go from the Disney Digital Department. <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Sam. So a uh, qu- question for me here. Yeah. Do the
1: rescuers make any appearance in this movie? Do we see them in a stinger at the end? Is there like <laughs> the wing beats of an albatross? Yeah, it's got to be post credits. Like, here we um, go.
2: Let me counter offer with this. Would you be satisfied with, because there's a, the big subplot that just extends 30 minutes after the film is resolved. Um, uh, wonderfully structured this film. I don't know if I've said it enough. I. Uh, d- would you be satisfied with an alcoholic mouse belching out fumes from all the alcohol he had drank in the background from his little porch? Do you think that that would be cool?
1: You know, I I think you'd get a lot of buy-in from the fans. I'm not a rescuers fan myself. I I didn't grow up with that material. Um, But, you know, I, I think you're really tapped into a vein here. Uh, And a lot of, a lot of childhood rescuers fans are going to be coming out of the woodwork to see this one. Thank you.
0: I, I, I just want to point out that the rescuers down under is in fact a sequel of 13 years after the original. So it's clear that when it comes to the rescuers, you, o- you can only strike when the iron is ice, ice cold uh, in order to get the best results. And perhaps so if, if we're going to have yeah, that's this a like
2: beautiful film though, right? He, you get so <laughs> much under? expression oh, yeah. from those nonverbal eagles, the eyes, what they're doing, they're oh, trying yeah. to, oh my God, i I moved. It's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous There's movie. There's the panicking lizard who locks himself in prison on accident again after he's given the keys. <laughs> Such beautiful comedy in that film. I I think we need to also
0: have like maybe a mid-credits scene where we see the young Australian man. Um uh We see him in his youth. And, <laughs> and instead of implying, guess what, we're going into the rescuers, we instead imply we're going into his origin story. Oh, then. shit.
2: Yes. Oh. Wow, what if what if they had an origin story and then a sequel origin story with no engagement with the source material <laughs> in between? So you just get Auntie Medusa and then Poacher Raphael or whatever his name is. Uh, yeah,
0: if I could remember who he was or what his evil plan was, I think he wanted to like, he was destroy a, the wilderness or something. Eagle,
2: he was a golden eagle poacher. He was coaching okay, the yeah, Golden Eagles right. Nest. He was hunting the Golden Eagles.
0: Didn't he have like a big machine that like tore down trees or something or am I just That might be conflating fer- it with f- f- Fern Gully memories.
2: Ferngu- we should really do a an adaptation game Turn turns something into a uh one of well, my closest they, friends, that's his father-in-law. I have to look this up real quick.
0: I think, I think we will uh, one day return to this and perhaps uh, this this topic and perhaps um, the uh, evil black smoke from Fern Gully will get its time in the sun to uh, <laughs> uh, learn its origin story and why actually destroying the rainforest might be a good thing. Um, <laughs> oh, no. That film will be funded by the Koch brothers and uh, produced by uh, the, D- the Daily Wire. <laughs> oh, my God. Because uh, they are in the film business now, the Daily Wire. They it's are. Da- OK,
2: so we need to take children's narratives or maybe Disney to Don Bluth is a good adaptation game in the future. Well, well Don we'll Bluth, Bluth worked that. for
0: Disney. He right. But Disney I mean, movie.
2: after his departure, I mean, it's very different.
0: Okay. Well, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see about that one. Um, in the meantime, <laughs> this is getting a green light from me. Uh, uh, even though I have no engagement with the source material whatsoever. And in fact, the less, I think the less I know about the rescuers, the happier I am. Uh, I will still tentatively give this a green light because I think Phoebe needs, uh, you know, we need to put her in more of a spotlight than she's already getting. Cause she's a, a national treasure. Uh, Sam, what about you? Yeah, I
1: think uh, we we've got a kind of a low budget pitch here, which I think is really appealing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think we're gonna drop this on Disney Plus. Give this, you know, a few weeks. Not a lot of very little fanfare. Yeah, Uh, we drop a trailer, and then a year later, a year (laughs) after the trailer, we drop this on Disney Plus. Do not publicize (laughs) it. But but. Here's where we go come in we we market it specifically to like because you watched uh, and then list all the put other it on Disney films so every when they, because you, you watched. finish watching The Descendants 3 and it's like <laughs> oh you just watched The Descendants wish there was another Descendants movie well I got news for you pal there's not but we got Auntie Medusa
0: <laughs> And if you search The Rescuers, this doesn't show up until you scroll down a ways. You have to really scroll.
2: Honestly, that's a a really high praise. I appreciate that. I think it's second only in marketing tactic to our unskippable YouTube Red (laughs) full-length feature uh, earlier in the series. Uh, Yeah, I think only being because you watched, you cannot search this film. But after everything you watch on Disney Plus, it's like, I know you like Mickey Mouse Playhouse, but do you want to see a saggy tit maven uh, commit some crimes?
0: You can only see it in the because you watched and like the post and like during the credits, it does not show up. Otherwise, it's impossible to find. Film. You can
2: either watch credits or you can watch Anti Medusa. Those two options for the month of March every year on Disney. Yeah. That's, that's,
1: that's brilliant.
0: OK, no, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. Now it's getting a bright, bright green light. Uh, in darkest day, and brightest light, no evil escapes this green light. Uh, so, um, with that, I want to transition now to, uh, Sam Kessler's pitch. Uh, Sam, you got big shoes to fill, uh, with that, uh, uh, iconic, iconic character of Madame Medusa. Uh, so Sam batter up, what do you got for us? So I, I've got to caveat this. We've been talking a lot
1: about Disney, um, I wasn't aware that there was a Disney requirement on this podcast. So I'm <laughs> starting a slightly different it was
0: your idea. You actually uh, My came idea up with was this.
1: evil. I said evil characters. I didn't say Disney evil characters. I'm talking about Disney buying the rights to other franchises <laughs> okay. specifically, specifically so that they can make sympathetic portrayals of some iconic villains. And for this one, I thought, who is the most evil villain? Who are people clamoring to understand how could anyone be that evil. And so I've come with a pitch for the big man himself. Uh, We're talking about Sauron uh, from Lord of the Rings, of course. Uh, just a, a personification of evil. When we see him in the Lord of the Rings movies, right? He's just a big yeah. eye. He's just a big eye
0: on fire in a tower. The, but who's the guy behind the eye? Whose eye of the is that? Least you know, present villains in a narrative. Uh, he's he's uh, mostly spoken about, and he it, it doesn't really physically appear at all in the story of Lord of the Rings.
1: Yeah, well, he's in the he's in the prologue. It's true. He's wearing a big suit and of armor. And he hits a bunch of people
0: with
2: his and mace, then, uh, and, he, and
0: they all go flying.
1: That's
2: a good. It's a good sequence. He was originally sequence, knock it.
1: No, look, that's great. Yeah, that's and great. he was originally supposed to be. He was supposed to be in Return of the King. He was supposed to pin Aragorn, and then they were like, "Ooh, that doesn't make a lot of sense that Sauron would be like out there fighting people." So they had a cave troll. They shopped it in in post instead of Sauron that uh, Aragorn gets pinned by in the final battle. Fun wow. fact. Wow.
2: Um, Imagine you were the performer of Sauron in that suit for that fight, and you're like, what? Here it comes. It's coming up right here. Here it is, everyone. Oh! (laughs) no i'm a Plato monster oh no uh
0: and if you watch aragorn's reaction to seeing the cave troll it's clear that he's acting as if he's seeing sauron coming out uh which which only enhances the scene uh so continue sam tell us more about this this sauron uh story a uh, sauron story All right, so I am aware
1: for this one that uh, there is an existing uh, origin story for Sauron. We're going to throw that all out. I don't think that's marketable. I don't think that's what audiences want. Um, I think we've proven that the, the core fans of Lord of the Rings want Us to take some Mm -hmm, liberties with mm, the source material. If that's you know Legolas running up some rubble in midair, if that's Keely and Feely being sexy, you know that's what that's. Oh, don't forget about we're um, here for those changes. Don't forget about
0: uh, Middle Earth Shadow of War, where it was revealed that uh, Shelob is actually a sexy lady.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) Wouldn't wouldn't have it any other way.
2: She put the she in Shelob, for sure.
1: So this one is this one's going to be a little bit more of a uh, we're we're taking this kind of if you've ever seen Underworld Rise of the (laughs) Lichens oh wow we're doing um, a lot of fan service we're taking it a little bit in that direction this week the
2: fans are going to be cheering in their seats.
1: yeah, we're not, we're not bringing in uh, anyone from the Underworld franchise. So sorry, Kate Beckinsale, Bill Nighy, um, or even uh, Rona Mitra, star of Underworld Rise of the Lichens, uh, will not be available for this one. Uh, but I, I think we're coming up with a similar vibe of, you know, we've got this fantasy world. How did it get here? How did this guy become so evil? Anyway, cut to black. Here's our opening. We've got Howard Shore's delightfully mysterious ring music. Playing over a black screen, we see the one ring of power falling, tumbling through the air. And it picks up speed and tumbles faster and faster until it's this blaze of light. And that turns into the flames of a blacksmith's forge. Here we are. We're in a ramshackle blacksmith's hut. It's raining outside. We can hear the rain. We can hear the grunting of the blacksmith as he hammers on some molten hot iron. Uh, and he pauses for a second to catch his breath, and there's a knock at the door and This grizzled old blacksmith looks up and he says, "Come in and a teenage boy walks in, not more than fifteen years old he's very skinny um, he's got a little bit of an ingenuous look to him. We're thinking like like that kid from uh, uh Bandersnatch from uh, Black Mirror Bandersnatch, or he was in uh, he was in nineteen seventeen I believe in the mm-hmm. past year. Um, something like that. He's got a very vulnerable look to him. Um, he's someone you want to root for. And he's like, hello, sir, it's me. And the blacksmith is like, what will you be after then? (laughs) And he says, I've come to be, I've come to be your apprentice, sir, if you'll have me. And the blacksmith is, this is a grizzled old world-weary blacksmith. He's like, oh, we don't need no apprentices here. I've scarce got two coins to rub together myself. Business has been so slow since the elves moved in. That's right. We're in a class warfare situation where some elves have moved into town. They're the, the aristocracy is these elves, and they make such fine blacksmith works that our smith can't really keep up. His shop is in disrepair. He's hardly getting any business anymore. And, and our young Sauron's like, I don't want to be working for elves, sir. My father told me, he told me if anything would to happen to him, I should, I should come here and that you'd help me. And the blacksmith is like, then your father was a damn fool. And Sauron's like, no, sir, he was a good man. I promise I can work hard. I can. I can do a good day's work. Anyway, that's the end of that scene. The blacksmith takes him on. Uh, so we've got this grudging relationship between this grizzled old blacksmith and our young boy, who uh, we're going to find out his name is
0: Sauron. So Sauron was was a man. He was, he was a mortal man in your origin. And he was he's always called yeah, Sauron. A, a he was not
2: <laughs> a, called by his original given name. No, in this
1: case, his name is Sauron. <laughs> We're starting okay, from square yeah, one. Yeah. We don't need to does set up the name. The same like, thing? Know does that's it what mean it mean as called. evil
2: of a of a name as as it does in the story, or is, or are people like, oh, Sauron, my buddy Sauron?
1: No, well, I guess the name. Yeah, it's just the it's just the name is it dad does, it, him. Doesn't name. Conno- it doesn't have a it doesn't have a connotation
0: yet because he's not evil yet, Chris. Oh, okay, sorry, my my apologies. Exactly. All right, so
1: here we're going. Uh, a scene two, right? We've got the shop. This is the blacksmith at work. He's selling what little he can sell, mostly fixing horseshoes and making nails for people, just like medieval stuff, mm. but not of a high quality. Uh, and customers are coming in, and they're talking about, well, this isn't as good as the elves <laughs> would make it. And he's like, oh, they make what do they make. Uh, Meanwhile, our young Sauron
2: (laughs) looks outside the shop,
1: and he's hammering some metal, right? And he sees a young elf girl walk by outside with her father. And she looks in the shop, and they make eye contact for a moment. And our young Sauron misses the metal with the hammer, and the smith is like, Oh, boy, you've got to pay attention to your work. Uh, And the elf girl has walked away. She's gone. Uh, maybe her father pulled her away violently, like, get away from those humans. I like I like what I'm hearing. Months later, it's the middle of the night. Young Sauron is asleep uh, in, his little, in his little bed, uh, and there's a knock at the door, and he goes and he opens the door, and it's Elf Girl. She, she's broken. She has an elf amulet around her neck, and it's broken. She broke it. And she was doing some adventurous thing. She can't have anyone know about it. And so she's come to the human smithy to try and get it fixed. Because she's like, I can't, I can't bring this to the elf blacksmiths. They'll know. Um, and young Sauron's like, oh, I, I don't know how to work with this material. And she's like, don't worry. I got you covered. She gives him, she's stolen an elvish <gasps> hammer and some elvish silver metal. It's mithril, but we Ooh. don't know that yet. Um. And she gives it to him, and he's like, well, I can do my best. And he, uh, he tries to, and he fixes it successfully. He fixes this necklace. He gives it back to her. She's like, thank you. I don't know what I'd do without you. And she runs away. Um, and uh, the camera pans down, and we see on the workbench, the elvish hammer is left behind oh. in the blacksmith shop. And some extra mithril. There's some extra stuff. All right, mm. so we're cutting to a couple weeks later, and young Sauron has started making stuff with this elvish hammer and this mithril. He's making amazing things that no one thought a human blacksmith could make. And people start coming to the smithy again. They're like, oh, my God, this is such amazing work. The old blacksmith is like, oh, I knew I'd make something of you, lad. Um, which is, you know, he's hypocritical. It's a comic moment. He's like, oh, I knew this was coming from the day yeah, you came into right. the shop. Yeah,
2: kind of like that blacksmith from Paris of the Caribbean. Just I, doing his civic duties sir. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but, but we
1: like our old blacksmith, he's, he's grizzled, he's old, we kind of feel bad for him, it's okay. Uh, it's, it's a little bit of a charming moment, it's not, he's not trying to take advantage of young Sauron here, he's like championing Sauron's work. He's like, good job man, keep it up. Um, and uh, the problem though is young Sauron, we see him hammering and we see him use the last piece of Mithril that was left behind. Um, And now, how's he going to make his amazing stuff? So in the middle of the night, he puts on a cloak. He's walking out and he goes to the elf district. And we see the class transformation of this town from these tenement houses and boarded up shacks into these luscious... Uh, serene, austere—or not austere, but just kind of uh, elegant elf houses. Like we're thinking Rivendell here. This is where we might get some musical callbacks in our Howard Shore mm-hmm. score um, to uh, to the the Rivendell themes from uh, Lord of the Rings. Um, and he finds his way to Elf Girl's house. He he knocks on the door, and then realizes he should knock on the door and he starts throwing little rocks at her window and they have a little balcony scene. Oh, wow. okay. Wow, yeah. and so he uh, he charms her. Uh, he he you know thanks her for the the metal before and kind of has this roguish charm that maybe she doesn't get in her stuffy elf <laughs> life. Um, and uh he asks her if she can keep supplying him with more metal. and she's like, yeah, I, I don't mind. I don't mind stealing from my father's workshop. Her father is an elf blacksmith. Um, she takes the metal. And so now we've got, we're we're going to cut to a montage here. So now they've got kind of a hustle yeah. going on. Sauron's forging amazing stuff. We have more and more people showing up to the blacksmith, the, the smithy. Like, wow, what amazing stuff this is. Sauron forging more stuff, secretly meeting with his elf girlfriend. Or is she his girlfriend? Who knows? His blood. Um, in the middle of the night, getting more and more elf silver. Um, and then we're cutting to interior, the elf smith's workshop. The elf girl's dad, he's furious. He's like, something's got to be up. How are the humans getting this kind of technology? It's, it's insane. We're, we're supposed to be the ones who are able to keep our chokehold on this town by supplying it with somewhat magical artifacts. Um, but, the, uh, and, and she's like, I don't know. She plays it off. She's like, I guess the humans are just that cool, huh? <laughs> um,
0: <laughs>
2: A classic line.
1: And, but then our, our blacksmith elf is like, well, as long as they don't have these. And he dumps out onto the table these extra special, like these glowing elf gems. Um, and he's like, as long as we have these, we will keep our stranglehold on the industry. Um, Next scene is another secret meeting uh, between young Sauron and his elf uh, girl confidant. Paramore. Um, she's stolen some of. She's stolen some of these magic gems, and they're glowing with light. And she hands one to him, and suddenly it explodes with light. They're blinded for a second, and then they look up. Elf cops. <gasps> elf everywhere. cops. We're like. It's Elf sting. cops. Elf soldiers. Elf dad walks in, he's like, I've caught you red-handed now, girl. Um... So they're taking away young Sauron and and the elf girl she manages to distract the soldiers just long enough for young Sauron he sneaks up onto a rooftop makes a Pirates of the Caribbean style mm. kind of parkour daring okay. escape he's chased by soldiers there at street level he's on the rooftops like scampering from place to place maybe we go through a building there there's a little bit of fighting but he uses his wits and smaller stature to oh, escape I love that. He sneaks into his blacksmith forge um grabs the elf hammer, grabs his bag, puts on a cloak, and runs out into the night. Uh, we see him hiking out from the town walls off into the wilderness. Where is he going? Who's to say? Now we've got a time gap. We're fading to black and we have a time gap. We've got a five-year time gap. And, and young Sauron, he's now 21. He's like tween Sauron. Um, he's planning a heist. This is a whole other land we see. Uh, we're we're going in in the middle of the action. He's stealing silver and jewels from like an elf foundry. Um, and this is an opportunity for us to explore some other worlds, some other parts of this world. We see what does this elf mining operation look like? Maybe they've got some dwarves on as consultants. Maybe we hear some, some fanservice-y names of dwarves or elves we might be familiar with mm. here you know, uh, just broaden our universe a little bit, but we see clever young Sauron getting in here and escaping in a daring theft. That's really fun to watch. And he goes back to a cave, um, where he's set up a new forge and this is a rocky cave forge. And here he has a little camp. He's got a little campfire and this forge is just glowing with light. Um, and we see, in the cave right behind him, there's like a little hole in the wall, and we see that it's an active volcano. We see lava kind of oozing. Um, so we we get some inklings of where we might be right now. Um, and Sauron, we see him hammering away at his forge. okay, cut to black while the the fires are still raging in his forge. The old smith wanders into Sauron's cave. Now, this is five years later. This old smith, he's gone out of business. He's a wanderer, uh, and he's, he's old and grizzled. You see his age on his face, and time has not treated him well. Oh. And he goes in, and he says, I, I thought I might find you here. Times ain't been good to me. Perhaps you could spare a little bit for your old master. And young Sauron, is, he's understanding and he's really excited to show the smith, like, look what I've been doing. I've been stealing from the elves. I've been making all this cool stuff. And uh, he, show, he opens up a box. We don't get to see what's inside the box, but the smith does. And he backs away slowly. He's like, oh, lad, I don't, I don't right like what you've been up to. This ain't natural or something like that. And young Sauron says, no, I will win her back. I will. Um, and uh the the old smith kind of he he backs out of the cave and disappears into the distance um wanders off rather than seek the shelter of uh, what he's just seen. All right, we're entering our denouement. We're back in the original town here. Young Sauron has returned um and he he makes a beeline straight for the elf girl's house. He knocks on the door, and she answers uh but uh she's like, oh." Uh, Sauron I didn't expect you something's wrong and uh we find out uh, her her elf husband she's oh, now no. married comes to the door and says is something the matter <laughs> oh, no. and young Sauron it backs away slowly. Mm. And then, again, elf soldiers surge into the place. This time they capture our young protagonist. They grab him by the arms. They pin him down. They take his sack away, his bag where he'd kept all of his things. And they drag him off to elf prison. Um, now we're cutting to interior of the elf house again. The, the elf girl's dad is like, oh, we finally got our hands on, on all of his stuff. And pulls nine rings out of the bag. Um, he says, oh, interesting. So this is what he was working on, is it? Well, it would be a shame to oh, waste Oh, no. Them. And he puts one on, and when he puts one of these rings on, he's able to conjure this amazing light show just in the house. We can see that this ring is capable of some it's fantastic powers. It's the world of color rings, of course, famously. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and so he's conjuring up some light show, and he's like, Oh, yes, the Elf Council will love these. Um, here we wow. go. Our, we're, we're nearing the end here. We're at the gallows. They're about to execute our poor young Sauron for the crime of 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 trying to love an Elf Girl. <laughs> nothing more and nothing less. Um, as he's being <laughs> led up to the gallows, we see all the Elf Council, like the Elf Girl's dad, and a bunch of other like stuffy-looking Elves, and we see them all looking on in disdain And we zoom down, or we pan down to their hands, and we see that they're all wearing these magnificent rings. Where did this come from? At the gallows, uh, young Sauron, we see him palm. He still has one ring in his hand. Yes, he does. (laughs) Um, And the hangman's about to put the noose around his neck. But young Sauron puts on the ring and he becomes invisible. And the the audience is like, what? What happened? Uh, Everyone watching is like, where did he go? Oh, no, they're muttering. Suddenly, something else is wrong. The elf elf council starts twisting and writhing. Something's wrong. Something hurts them. They try to claw at their fingers, but they can't take the rings off their fingers. Suddenly, they find themselves physically changing, bending into... Are those orcs? <laughs> oh, <laughs> young Sauron no. looks down at the crowd, searching for his once-girlfriend's eyes. But when he sees her, her, her hand is at her mouth. like she's, she's stunned by what she's seeing. She's wearing one of the rings, <gasps> too. And she starts to claw at her face, and she turns into an orc, and they all turn into orcs. Uh, and young Sauron stands atop the gallows, overlooking his... New orc army, um, and the old blacksmith who, who's also followed young Sauron <laughs> to town. We we don't have too many characters. Wait, you in said an, ar- an army? Up. Isn't
0: there just like ten
1: of them? No, all the elves turned okay, into orcs. <laughs> Yeah, it started it started with the ring wearers, but it it, it kind of ballooned. Shit. We need to we need to get a lot of orcs here. All the elves are orcs. <laughs> there are still some humans in the crowd, and they're like, oh my god, what the fuck just happened? And the old blacksmith comes into the front and says something like, You've done it now, lad, but what'll you do now? And young Sauron says, Rule. Rule them all. <laughs> no. Cut to black.
0: Maybe. Okay. Wait. Oh, I have a. I have wow. a tiny. I have a tiny uh, uh, alteration to make That's to it? this. It's um, <laughs> the only thing I, I give is a I,
2: tiny alteration.
0: No. Here's 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 my <laughs> tiny pitch for the end. All right. So so you keep the line. Right. The line is amazing. Uh, you know. You have you have him be like be like you're wielding great power now. What are you gonna do? And he says, "Rule them all." And as he says that. We see his ring kind of glowing, and then the glow kind of like envelops him a little bit. And as we zoom in on his eye, his normal
2: human eye oh, starts to God. change and
0: glow. And that's our final shot as we zoom in and on the And then, his then eyes. our end
2: credits music <laughs> is the mortar. Yeah,
0: no, exactly. Um, so it's like it's like this is this is just the beginning of our origin story, which lays fertile ground. For um, uh, Sauron: colon, A Lord of the Rings story, too. Um, you know, it's it wouldn't be
2: a Lord of the Rings property unless it was made unnecessarily long. Mm. Oh yeah. Um, this is Sarah from Sentimentality. Along the same lines of that great little ending you just pitched, I was wondering if we could fit in like a line with uh, the the um, blacksmith guy. Where he says he has some reason, maybe when he's, like, young, he's holding his hand, he's getting that ore in the little spoon they put in that fire, and he says, this is where we cast it into the fire. You know, something like that, <clears throat> that just, like, gets us to cast it into the fire, bit. I don't know, it's just the thought. Mm. Yeah, what if he, what if he says, what, what if
1: we cast it into the fire, and Sauron's like, no.
2: I like that. You could even do it as for something as trivial as like maybe they're making tea or something. You know what I mean? Like it's like it's a little bit, mm. it's a little bit lukewarm, mm. boy. Cast it into the fire. No. And then he adds ice to the tea or something, mm-hmm. so we get a sense he's a real revolutionary.
0: Uh, hey, th- this is like uh, Marcus from Unnecessary Cameo Department. Um, you probably remember my work on uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story.
2: <laughs> um. What when about, we, uh, I loved you at needlessly... the end of The Mandalorian. That was pretty good, too. You do a good job, yeah, Marcus. Yeah, I do, I do <laughs> a lot
0: of work with Star Wars. Uh, you you <laughs> remember uh, I was responsible for the scene where, for no reason, the movie just cuts to a shot of R2-D2 and C-3PO uh, and then cuts away and it has no bearing on any part of the plot. Uh, I think we should work something in like that, where uh, maybe we see, like, a young uh Sauron kind of like uh, lugging his tools down the road and he like walks by a perhaps slightly younger man uh with like a like a like a staff and like a pointy hat and you know that he's kind of like, mm-hmm. oh I wonder who that was. Uh you know, we gotta get something like that in there, uh, you know, for the fans.
1: I Okay, I'll a counter proposal to you. Um we bring back Radagast the Brown, <laughs> oh, a fan favorite character. Yes. We have him appear. He just rides on his rabbit pulled sled in the background of uh just when we're on the moors he's just he's just
0: there careening across the landscape and then we never hear from him again. or or maybe uh we could also have a scene where like uh we we uh we could walk by some woods maybe he like gets lost in the woods one day and there's a kindly old man who helps him uh uh find his way again and um uh the old man is like, "Well, fiddle-dee. If you ever make some more rings, then oh. they'll never affect
2: me." Oh, it's Tom Abadillo. <laughs> and then a bunch of bird shit on his hat to explain that gross character design. <laughs> well, I I uh this is Larry from Lore. Um first of all, I was curious what kind of I thought I yeah, might get a call. You know, anyway. you know we're always He was seething the whole time. We're his face listening. is beet red. We're always listening. <laughs> Um, I had a question about the budget of the film. How many millions are we looking at? This we're looking at a Force Awakens or more? I think
1: we're we're a little under a Force Awakens. Uh, we're using a lot of practicals here. There's not a whole whole lot of effects budget. Uh, a lot of the characters we're dealing with are. are our human characters, where the the magic plays a little bit less of a pivotal role in this in this movie, we've just got some some stuff around. You know, maybe the smithy looks magical when he's using the elf hammer. We've got our elf lord conjuring some light. You know, we can get away without too much money. I'm thinking a hundred twenty
2: million. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. That should help uh, open up some budget for the fifty million you're gonna need for protection from the fans, because the fans <laughs> are already. They had uh, someone was on uh, was on TikTok or doing a live or something. Someone got wind of this already. They got a little bit of a wind from it before I was able to stop it. Um the very they're, what I'm getting is anger. I'm getting a lot of anger on the line, and that's not bad, but it's something we need to account for. We need you to stay safe throughout the writing of this uh, screenplay here. Um, one of the biggest comments before I was able to turn off the TikTok live was about um, the rings turning elves into goblin elf hybrids, otherwise known as orcs. Um,
1: yes, yes,
2: that's a bit of a red. Yeah, how, do, I how do we justify the goblin piece? Or could we could we do like a goblin magic? Could we do like maybe he fall he has friend that's a goblin that gives him some pointers and maybe there's accidental goblin magic in there.
1: Well, you know, I would say uh, we're shooting for an audience that's only seen the, the Lord of the Rings films and the Hobbit films. So we're we're going by what is the magic that's in the films? And we see orcs in the films. Uh, we see rings in the films. And I feel like it's a really natural extrapolation from that, that the rings make the goblins. Yeah,
2: that's... uh. You're approaching this like my uh, regrettable colleague, Christopher, approaches uh, a lot of fan pieces like Avatar, et cetera. (laughs) Um, He actually has zero budget for fans. He just runs very quickly to his car at night. Um, But besides, beside the point. Mm. um, Yeah, I'll I'll let it ride. Uh, And and lastly, the rings for the dwarves. The rings for the dwarves. Are the rings en route to the dwarves at the end of our picture? Or how do these dwarves get the rings so that they can have the rings at the beginning of a lot of the rings pictures? No, we've got we've to wait for the sequel for that. Oh, so front. we don't I... see nine rings on people. We see just the elf rings.
1: Yes. Uh, if... Well, in this case, in this world, yeah. You know what? We can stick with the three elf rings if that's going to satisfy our fans. If they need to see the right number of rings, I thought nine would be a compelling number. It's, it's enough that you could feel like those rings were having a big effect on a crowd. But you know what? We get three elf rings in there. That's fine. We see the three elf rings in the movie, but they don't mention that they're the rings. We just know that they are because someone else told us we had to read the special features for that. That's fine. That's fine. You know, in the in this world, who knows? Who knows how many offerings there
0: were? Uh, right? Yes, this is uh, Lord Davis from the uh, Silmarillion department. <laughs> uh, i have only brought oh. in for Tolkien works, and uh, uh, <laughs> I'm similarly Davis. befuddled by this pitch. Uh, Particularly the mention of nine rings, Uh, I assumed that these were perhaps prototype rings and that he had not yet forged what would become the, the, the rings he's known for. But are you telling me that these are supposed to be the rings and that he is wearing the ring at the end of the film? Yeah, he's wearing, he's wearing the ring. Oh, no, uh, my no, Lord. no, 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 uh, no, that won't do at all. <laughs> I'm afraid
1: this. No, I don't think you understand. I feel like what we're addressing here, right? What greater disappointment was there for a Lord of the Rings fan in the mid 20th century than reading the Lord of the Rings, loving it, and then being so anxious to read the Silmarillion. And then it's. Impenetrably boring. <laughs> I remember that feeling when I was a child. That was my last Jedi moment. And I think we need to react against that. We need to rewrite this lore. Uh, and for something sexier, for a younger generation uh, with a young shorter man, Young lifespan.
2: man, the fans have stormed the capital of this building. Uh, we are. There's <laughs> a breach in the lobby, and we need to move quickly.
0: Lord Davis is is dead. His his head has exploded in fury, like the like Mount Doom itself. He has uh, collapsed like in a, a in just a Doom
2: itself. He has exploded on. <laughs> Well,
0: uh, I give it the green light Uh, I want to see sexy young Sauron I want to see him turn into a a big eye By the end of the third film I want (laughs) to see that happen Uh, So I'm on board, I give it a green light What about you, Chris?
2: Yeah, let's let it ride I think the uh, Divorced from Its source text Which I think Sort of worked for The Hobbit divorced from its source text, which we have precedent for the love story you paint is quite compelling. And the idea of craft, a commitment to craftsmanship and, um, you know, uh, the ambition that we get to see in this character is very interesting and far more interesting than a lot of villain prequels, like, uh, I don't know, Joker. So I give it a green light.
0: Well, Sam, you got green lights um, all around uh, from us, but unfortunately the same can't be said for any Tolkien fan that listens to this. Uh, John, John, the John Meyer, if you're listening, uh, I'm so sorry for <laughs> what you've just experienced.
2: Probably Sean Eastridge um, too. We're sorry, Sean.
0: <laughs> yeah, Sean, Sean, definitely. Any, any Tolkien fans out there, we apologize.
2: One
1: last pitch. What would you say if we changed the pronunciation <laughs> oh, of no. the names oh, no. Oh, no. to be a little more uh, authentic? Okay. What if we call him Sauron? What? Okay, well, no, I'm interested in this. Uh, I do like this. What if we call him Ron? (laughs) What if the whole movie he's going by Ron, and then at the end we realize his name is
0: Sauron. (laughs) Somebody goes, oh, Ron, don't be so sore. And he goes,
2: Sauron. Ron. Ron. Uh, Okay. All right. Uh, Let's on that note,
0: (laughs) on that note, let's let's move (laughs) on to uh, our final pitch for today. My pitch. uh, Now, I gave myself quite a task similar to Sam. I wanted a challenge of turning a totally irredeemable character. Good. So I picked uh, the villain of uh, the hunchback of Notre Dame, Judge Frollo which if you're not uh, familiar or it's been a while since you've seen the Hunchback of Notre Dame, he is a genocidal maniac, uh, who, uh, is, um, lusts after a Romani woman who, um, when, uh, uh, spurned by, uh, his advances, he decides to burn at the stake, uh, only to be thwarted by, uh, his pesky adoptive son, uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame and his, uh, friend kevin klein so um it's uh it's a weird movie. Uh, it's a very strange movie to revisit. It's extremely dark. Uh, it opens with Judge Frollo murdering a Romani woman and then attempting to dump her son down a well, to dump her baby down a well uh, before being stopped. And uh, uh, it's it's very bleak. Uh, there's like a race riot at the end of the movie, uh, mm-hmm. and they interrupt the Paris literally being on fire so that they can have a funny uh, song from the talking gargoyles, who it seems that they exist only in Quasimodo's head. It's just a dark and strange movie to revisit, and I don't necessarily recommend it. Uh, but uh, it's also important to note that um, Victor Hugo, the novel's original author himself, actually adapted uh, The Hunchback of Notre Dame into an opera where he changed things to be more palatable for a, a consumer audience. So, uh the hunchback of Notre Dame is is no stranger to reinterpretation and has been reinterpreted even by its own author. So, I decided I was I was looking at how I could tell an origin story for this character and make him empathetic and justified and then lead into the events of uh Uh, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and I realized that all of my ideas were still uh, pretty horrible uh, and pretty heinous since I was trying to find a way to justify a genocide. So instead, I've decided to do like Maleficent does Uh and just completely change the original story Uh to make the villain the protagonist. Uh Uh-oh. So... So this is just a complete <laughs> reinterpretation of the story. The movie is just called Justice. Um, All right. So, like that fish from Serenity? Uh, yeah, you know what? Sure. Uh, like the it's lake like the, fish, from the Snyder it's like, Cut? It's like the big fish that, that Matthew <laughs> McConaughey was trying to catch in the movie Serenity. So, d- the movie... <laughs> The movie opens similar to how the the animated film opens with uh, uh, a sort of nightly patrol by uh, the like King's Guard as they're hunting around for uh, Romani, and uh, they're there, this time it's we see a sort of like villainous King's Court, and we see a new uh, member has joined their ranks. It's uh, Claude Frollo, who is a who's a younger man at this point, and he's a he's a pious man. Our first introduction to him is before they go on patrol. He's he's on his knees in prayer and he's like mocked by the other members of the of the guard they're like oh this guy is this guy over here all oh, the christians are gonna love
2: that they're like look Absolutely. how look how oppressed he is oh my god he loves his faith. this
0: is very antithetical to a lot of my pitches this is a very pious film um this is uh so so he's sort of on his knees praying and then Uh, He's told that their duty is to search for a band of thieves that is reported uh, for having uh, robbed a uh, bazaar and uh, they ride through the streets and eventually they come across a group of poor Romani who are hiding in an alley with a loaf of bread and the patrol goes in to question them but they all flee and so the guard are like, like split up and find them so they all ride off in different directions. And uh, Frollo comes across one of the women who is a young woman and she's clutching like a bundle to her chest in fear. And he attempts to approach her and he's like, calm down. I I, I don't want to hurt you. I, I-, I just want to talk. Uh, but she turns to no. run and she she slips and falls and she tumbles down a like concrete staircase and bashes her head in on the stairs. And oh uh, uh, miraculously, the baby is unharmed. And uh, Frollo goes to pick it up when the patrol arrives and they're like, oh, Frollo, look what you did to that woman. Oh, wow. You really did a number on her. You really you really did a good job. Way to go. And then they're like, all right, Frollo, now just uh, get rid of that dumb baby, too. (laughs) And he's he's terrified at these words. So so he, he runs in shock. And uh, uh, when the patrol catches up to him, they find him by a small well and they're like, uh, they're like, well, did you get rid of the baby? And and Frollo kind of thinking on his feet is like, he's like, yes, I, I cast the baby down into the pit and send it back to hell. And the patrol is all like, ah, good job. Good job. Let's go back to base. And he's like, yeah, so I'll catch up with you. Uh, just give me a moment and and they mm-hmm. all write off and and he reveals that he's actually hidden the baby by the well and he's like he's like there 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 I'll keep you safe and um he takes the baby to the cathedral of Notre Dame where an elderly archbishop comes and and he's like please keep this baby safe and uh um he's like he's like I blame myself for the death of that woman what can I possibly do to redeem myself and the the old the wise old priest is like Death can only be answered with life, and injustice can only be answered with justice. And Frollo solemnly takes these words to heart as we flash forward 18 years later. We learn that Judge Frollo is now in a position of great power in Paris, where he leads the King's Guard in in patrols, and he puts on a demeanor uh, of a vengeful, sour, and hateful man by day, where he's like hated by, mm. by by people who are just like, oh, that that Frollo is so mean. But by night, he puts on a disguise. And he runs oh. an underground railroad where what? he helps Romani women and children all through the city <laughs> by secretly leading them to the Court of Miracles, an underground city where they can survive and thrive. Turn
2: this <laughs> <laughs> and so, it can't be done. The
0: people of the court, they hate and despise Frollo, who are totally unaware of his double life and that he's the disguised man that keeps uh, uh, helping them. And during one such outing where he's helping people, he's actually spotted uh, through his disguise by a beautiful Romani magician named Esmeralda. But uh, uh, Frollo, he flees into the night before she confront him uh, before she can confront him for helping people. So uh the following day, Frollo goes to visit Notre Dame and visit his adoptive son Quasimodo, who he has sheltered and given sanctuary in the in the rafters of Notre Dame. And and Quasimodo, he idolizes Frodo, uh Frollo, rather. <laughs> A little contamination. contamination. Uh, He idolizes Judge Frollo uh, and he's he sees the like uh, hateful and vengeful face that he gives to the public. And he's like, oh, I want to be just like that. I want to be as powerful a man as Judge Frollo and he's spurred on by the new Archbishop who's equally uh, racist and hateful and and Frollo is like no Quasimodo no you must, you must have compassion for those around you and Quasimodo is like no I hate people the world rejects me and thus I reject it the world is a cruel place where only the strong survive so I will make myself the strongest so that I can one day dominate them and Frollo is like, no, Quasimodo, no, you must know compassion. And Quasimodo's like, compassion is for the weak. And uh, uh, so Frodo tries tries to show him the error of his ways by sneaking Quasimodo to the Festival of Fools, where they witness Esmeralda perform a stunning display, and they're both totally entranced by this. And also present is the new captain of the guard, uh, Captain Phoebus, who uh is is there with his fiance, but he immediately lusts after Esmeralda when he sees her perform. He's like a tall, handsome, good looking type. I'm thinking we get uh Army Hammer for this part, uh, especially oh. with his new his with newfound this- rep- reputation, <laughs> I think will really only enhance his performance.
2: Perfect. He hasn't uh, so- he doesn't have an agent currently, just so you know. This is uh this is uh Steven from Statistics.
0: Uh, Great. Well, that's going to make him an easier catch, so I love that. Yeah, we can just email Um, him directly. So, uh, much like in the original film, uh, Quasimodo is pulled from the crowd and crowned as the king of fools for his hideous appearance, where he's initially lauded and celebrated, and he's like, oh, well, maybe people aren't so bad. But then Captain Phoebus he cruelly eggs on the crowd to turn on Quasimodo and they all start pelting him with fruit and and, and humiliating him. And Esmeralda tries to stick up for him, but she's shouted down by the crowd, uh, the crowd that's getting more and more rowdy until Frollo takes the stage and he orders that the festival be ended and all celebrations ceased at once. And everybody boos and the crowd disperses uh, with the guard. And uh, Esmeralda, she recognizes Frollo. She's like, wait a minute, that's the guy that was helping people before. And then she also realizes he dispersed the crowd so that he could help Quasimodo, and she tries to go and approach uh, Judge Frollo, but Phoebus kind of like gets in the way, and he's like, "Hey, baby, wanna spend some time with me, Army Hammer? Maybe I can uh, eat your toes." Whoa! And uh, <laughs> <laughs> And, Judge- <laughs> and uh, uh, she's she's like, "Get out of the way! I'm not interested in you." And then she she tries to push past him to find Frollo, but but he's gone. And back at Notre Dame, Frollo tries to console Quasimodo. He's like, he's like, they didn't know. It's it's you have to understand. And Quasimodo's like, "No! This day proved to me that mankind is wicked and cruel, just as I assumed." He's like, "You're the only one I can trust, Frollo, because you're the only one that's filled with as much hate as I am." And oh. and of course, I can also trust Esmeralda, who I love now Uh, and she she will belong to me and no one else she shall be my bride and Frollo tries to dissuade him but Quasimodo refuses to listen and instead he crafts an (laughs) idol of Esmeralda that he furiously masturbates to. No!
2: Oh, boy. <laughs> so that no. so that
0: evening, uh, Judge Frollo is out on one of his patrols uh, helping Romani women when he gets ambushed by Esmeralda. And she's like, I know your true nature. And he's like, no, I'm a villain. I'm villainous. Uh, stay away from me. And she's like, I'm not fooled. I can see the man you are underneath. And, and Frollo, he breaks down in tears. And he reveals the guilt that he feels for the countless people he's been unable to save. And she's like, you've done so much, Judge Frollo. And she goes in and she (laughs) kisses him tenderly, but... We then pan over to see that that Quasimodo from the shadows has been observing this whole thing. And he he lashes out. He's he he screams in rage and then swings away into the night. And uh, uh, Judge Frollo pulls away from the embrace and he's like, I'm unworthy of love. And he flees. And Quasimodo goes on a rampage through Paris, breaking buildings and smashing things. <laughs> and, and, and is he King it's, Kong? It's, Basically, he's just like smashing architecture. Is and, he still uh, <laughs> disabled
2: in this version? We haven't addressed no, that one no, time.
0: No, 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 Well, I mean, he's a, he's a hunchback. He is like a deformed hunchback, but he is, but he is much like in the original novel and in the film. He's he's superhumanly strong. Okay. Um, so he's swinging through the city of Paris just smashing things until he tires himself out and he collapses in an alley where an old beggar finds him and the old beggar's like you seem tired let me give you some water but Quasimodo <laughs> thinks that the, he thinks that the old man is attacking him and he and he smashes the man to death he beats him he beats him to
2: death he smashes him to pieces and, piece. <laughs> and
0: uh, Until he's just like a bloody stain on the ground. And and the guard is like drawn by this ruckus and they find Quasimodo covered in blood. And they're about to kill him when they're stopped by Phoebus, who recognizes Quasimodo from the festival. And he's impressed by his strength. And Phoebus is like perhaps we should recruit this man instead. He could become our secret weapon in our war against the outsiders. And he approaches Quasimodo and he's like, how would you like to turn your hate into power? How would you like revenge against the people that wronged you? And Quasimodo gleefully accepts. And the guard, they craft this hideous mask for Quasimodo to wear and to hide his visage from the people. And and stories, of the masked man begin to, and, and the terror that he brings begin to spread across the city. And so Frollo, he races back to the church and he finds that that Quasimodo is gone and he blames himself and he prays to God, begging for forgiveness for not better protecting Quasimodo from the hate of the outside world. And uh, he's once again approached by Esmeralda, who tells him That he must forgive himself, and the two begin to make love there in the church, and spend the the night. (laughs) uh, Judge Frollo and and
2: Esmeralda.
0: Okay, Uh, they make love on the floor of the church and spend the night in each other's arms, Uh, and then the next morning, like
2: in the cartoon in this part. uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: He's he's like a distinguished (laughs) uh, older sort. Yes. Oh no. Um, So there is a bit of an age gap there. Yeah, Uh, and so. Um. Uh. The next morning, the church is surrounded by the guards, who announce to the public that Judge Frollo is the enemy of the people, and that uh, qu- thanks to information gleamed from the masked uh, the masked guardsmen, they uh have they say that actually he's been sleeping with the Romani and he's a traitor to Paris. And the mod, the mob is enraged, and and a riot breaks out, and they begin just like burning buildings indiscriminately and. And in the chaos of the riot, Captain Phoebus and Quasimodo storm the cathedral where they find Frollo and Esmeralda in each other's arms. And Quasimodo, he screams, he's like, no, and he lashes out against Frollo and he begins to beat him bloody while Captain Phoebus attempts to force himself on Esmeralda. Oh, my God. she she oh, resists.
2: Oh my She God. resists
0: and and fights back and and Quasimodo then realizes what's going on and he sees Captain Phoebus was just using him to get to Esmeralda and Quasimodo screams in rage again and and smashes Captain Phoebus's head in uh, like like a ripe melon. And uh, uh, Frollo oh and Esmeralda flee. They uh, uh, Frollo they they flee to the Court of Miracles, where they can safely hide. But but the court is like, no, we can't let Frollo in here. He's a villain. He's not welcome here. And and Esmeralda's like, no, you don't understand. And they're like, we won't listen to reason. And she hands and, them uh, a single
2: <laughs> copy of the Blu-ray of the movie you just watched. <laughs> she-
0: <laughs> and so Judge Frollo is like, "It's okay, you go. I'll, I'll stay back. It's all right as long as you're safe. That's the only thing that matters." And Quasimodo catches up to the two of them, and he's like, "I'm going to take Esmeralda, and then I'm going to burn the Court of Miracles to the ground and kill them all." And uh, oh, no. Esmeralda, uh, she tearfully accepts that uh, she has to separate from him and and, uh, she, she flees to the Court of Miracles and Judge Frollo then duels with the hideous monster that Quasimodo becomes but he's completely outmatched by his son's strength and just before Quasimodo can deliver the final blow he says, I know you always hated me just like all the others you thought I was hideous and Frollo says, no, you are my son you were always beautiful Only now have you become something hideous. And with that, a lightning flashes and Quasimodo sees his masked face reflected in a puddle. And he realizes what he's become. And he's like, no, no. And he climbs to the top of Notre Dame and throws himself off, uh, ending his own life. And then the guard catches up to Judge Frollo, and they surround him, and they're like, tell us where the Court of Miracles is. And Frollo refuses, and he's taken away, and he's tortured for information. And uh, no matter how much they torture him, they cannot get him to speak uh, and to break his silence, and so he's tortured to death. And just before breathing his last, he has a vision of heaven and of Esmeralda and of all the people he saved. And he finally knows peace before dying. And the guard laments that, well, we'll never find the Court of Miracles now, just before the raging mob outside storms their headquarters, slaughters the city guard, and burns the building down. And in our final moments, the aftermaths of the riots, Uh, the city is ravaged. The people of Paris are like, look at our city. What have we done? What have we become? And they come together with the Romani to build together. Led by Esmeralda, they begin to rebuild and build a new future. And she spreads the word of the true man that Judge Frollo was this whole time. And And that's how our story ends.
2: Uh, so wow. I open the floor for uh, questions, uh, comments. Something. Um, there's a lot to unpack here as a fan of of the Disney picture. <laughs> um, but uh, let's look at geography to start. Uh, the Court of Miracles. Uh, the Court of Miracles is a good deal away from Notre Dame, yes? Or in your version, is it more geographically concentric? <laughs> no,
0: no, it's it's a good deal away. Uh, we see a we see a whole montage of of Quasimodo running back to Notre Dame and, and hurling himself off.
2: Okay. And my second thing, uh, this is Larry from Laura again. I've just caught my breath from the last pitch enough to ask, uh, Quasimodo is not his Christian name. It is a name given him by judge Frollo. Does he still name him Quasimodo half form when he looks upon this son he loves so much? Uh, uh, it it much like Sauron no longer means
0: um, evil guy. Uh, Quasimodo uh, does not have the
2: same meaning. All right, um, and uh, I have four points here. I just have two more to get through before I just <laughs> retire forever from the show. Uh, there was a lot in common with Batman uh, with the Quasimodo who he becomes uh the cooperation with the police the checkered set of relationship vigilante relationship with the public the uh uh property damage um who who's who did you have in mind was going to produce this picture <laughs>
0: uh this is a disney film i think uh i well, think it is...
2: disney himselfs going to produce this this batman <laughs> movie this,
0: huh? this is it Well, it's it's, it's not a, no he's more like darth vader than batman he's more like this uh this sinister force who uh uh you know seeking to hide his visage uh only becomes uh more of a monster in doing so and you got to understand here that that in the disney film uh captain Phoebus, uh uh ant- antithetically to his his book counterpart is uh morally virtuous and and a good man and uh, quasimodo is is also like very virtuous and so i wanted to just basically completely reverse the moral lines here, and have Quasimodo be a horrible monster, and uh, Captain Phoebus uh, something similar.
2: Nice.
1: So this is kind of like a what if <laughs> yeah, situation. This, this isn't. <laughs> this isn't related directly. No. Narratively this is. This the is the a film.
0: reimagining uh,
2: with oh, the uh,
0: uh, mor- moral lines. Reversed. Oh, it's a
2: reimagining, Mr. Wonka. <laughs> My last question is for the fans: what What can, what can they hold on to? From the original story how can they see their original tale they loved so well that gets them back into the theaters for this film uh, what what do they have to hold on to to really cherish in your beautiful uh beautifully complex sexually uh, I mean, the, charged narrative
0: uh, it here? is it is this is a hard r this movie for violence and for uh sexuality i mean we do see quasimodo furiously masturbate um yeah. so uh <laughs> I to think a, that we to have... a statuette of another
2: <laughs> character from the film, which is yeah, well, like I've a hideous in a movie.
0: A, a hideous mock-up that he's created oh, where he no. sort of just puts, he puts some, like, hay. A chimera and then, like, of the original yeah, source he, material. he, like, paint, paints a face on uh, oh, and, like
2: Oh, like an old flower pot with, like, a yeah. little, <laughs> little <laughs> kerchief on it. Basically, yeah. <laughs> That's terrible. Um,
0: so there's going to be, like, Easter eggs to the original. You know, Quasimodo in the original movie uh, makes little dolls of the people he knows and yeah. similarly... <laughs> Uh, constructs he a, a simile, he's <laughs> saying, <laughs> he Not on camera, no. <laughs> uh, no. And in fact, we can even have Quasimodo talking to the gargoyles, you know, some as like a reference to, but the, the gargoyles aren't gargoyle. animated, so it's
2: just but BPD. They, no, they, they,
0: they aren't alive in this one, so he's just talking oh, to gargoyles no, that don't respond. no, no. oh, no. Um, you know, little, little cute references, you know, we can even have like, we'll bring Alan, Alan Menken back in to, uh, to score (laughs) and, uh, he'll, he'll sort of like the, the, much like, um. Hellfire was like a light motif throughout the original film. Uh, it would similarly, hellfire would be a, a similar thing, and then there would be sort of a a reverse of hellfire at the end, where when we glimpse heaven and we see sort of Frollo being welcomed into heaven, heaven's play, light.
2: If you're a fan out there,
0: of the film. Yeah, well, see, see, reverse. <laughs> so, so hellfire now becomes associated with heaven, and then heaven's light. Becomes associated with the sort of like hell that uh, uh, Quasimodo is cast into, so it's basically just it's a reinterpretation, it's a reimagining, a role reversal, uh, and I think it's going to be a huge hit. It's 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 it. I also realized that I accidentally sort of made it um, Schindler's List a little bit as well. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, there's a little bit of that in there.
1: What uh, what lesson do you think audiences are going to take from this one? <laughs> what do you what do you want people to yeah. come out of here? What are they like? Uh, what Similarly, are the themes?
0: I think uh, similar to the original piece, I think it's still about uh, you know it's uh, it's a, a treat see against hate. Against, um, against, uh, you know, uh, uh, fascistic, um, you know, racism against, uh, against outsiders and, and understanding, you know, that, that we're not, uh, you know, under the surface. It's, it's about what we do. It's, it's not who we are on the outside, but we, what we do that defines us. Um, do you think it undercuts your message at all that
1: Quasimodo, the only deformed or perhaps uh, differently abled character, does turn into a raging monster and destroys half the city? Uh, well, is that his is a
0: tragic tale. You know, he failed to see that uh, his he, his appearance, you know, wasn't uh, the thing that made him monstrous. It was It was the hate that he harbored in his heart.
2: Well... I see. He does don a mask and try and inflict fear in the eyes of his victims, though. Yeah. And he also does use his uh, other abilities to, to kill people using his yes. special abilities. He kills them with that. It's kind of <laughs> like... Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm he's, I'm walking a fine line there. Never mind. It was something to do with the Mortal Kombat trailer came out this week. I'm not gonna not gonna talk about. It.
0: Uh, I mean, I guess you could say <laughs> that he is something of a of a scorpion uh, in that he he becomes a revenant, uh, haunting uh, the, those he believes wronged him. Um, so you know, it's he's he is a sort of villainous character in this. um uh, and, uh, you know, it's a statement. It's a statement about uh, it's not you know, it's it's the inside that counts. so i think I think on that angle i'm 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 crushing it. And I'm thinking in terms of casting, you know, of course, we have Army Hammer, and we probably will work into the script some elements of Judge Frollo being like a cannibal. um. Oh, so just to Hammer's- sort of cap- ca- capitalize on that. So
2: Army Hammer plays Frollo. Army Hammer just not play. No, no. no. Ar- Army
0: Hammer is Captain Phoebus. He's Captain Phoebus. Oh, okay. Phoebus. Thank you. Yeah, I was like. Um,
2: so so, and
0: there's there's gonna be a scene. Uh you you remember that scene in um, the uh the Shape of Water where Michael Shannon uh has sex with his wife and it's really uncomfortable. Um, I want to put in something like that where uh. Captain Phoebus uh, sleeps with his fiance and is kind of like, Yeah, now, now pretend to be a Romani magician and then I'm going to eat your toes. And then maybe he like eats her toes. Um,
2: so this, <laughs> this film is going to get censored by by the international film community like this will not be allowed to be this sold a disney,
0: it's a disney film what Come are you on, talking it's the,
2: about it's, <laughs> it's not gonna it's, be allowed to be sold or for families streamed in most countries in the eu for sure no 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 just because no, no, you no. say romani but then you attach all of the gypsy sort <laughs> of like <laughs> lore it does not make it better Matthew
0: <laughs> No, 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 no. This, this is a movie about coming together. This is a movie families can take their kids to to understand the that hate is a powerful thing, but that love is stronger. Uh,
1: so uh, what kind of a distribution are you thinking for this? Um, uh, this is this is Stan from
0: distribution, uh, by the way. Um, when we're when we're looking at a, a kind of a, a global scale here, what will
1: you partner with other well, I companies? Think we put a lot of
0: marketing uh, behind this to release it as like a major Disney film. I think similar to like the marketing push that Mulan got, the live action Mulan. I want something like that, you know. So that's really, really just like really sent out to the world. You know, this is going to be a tentpole release. Maybe we release it on Christmas oh. Day. Wow. You know,
1: really. Okay, I just with Mulan in mind, would you be open to uh, filming some or part of this in a country with <laughs> human rights abuses ongoing, perhaps even miles away from those human uh, rights yeah, abuses? Yeah, no,
0: absolutely. Um. And, uh, uh, you know, I was actually thinking we should have like a lesbian character appear, but only in one scene so that that can be cut out for the Chinese market.
1: Well that that works for me. That we've gotten some attractive offers from Myanmar uh, recently. So um keeping that on the radar. Uh, and maybe
0: we film an extra scene just for the Chinese market, where uh the when the the people of Paris are lamenting the burnt city, they say, "Oh, if only we could have been more like the just and noble government of China, uh we would have had a better infrastructure
2: <laughs> the People's Republic of China uh, where all the people but... are so are, are so
0: brave and strong, if only we could have been like them, Wow,
2: this this pitch was green lights, green lights. I'm getting this pitch some green lights. It was exhausting. It was exhausting, Matthew. I have to be honest with you. I'll give it a green light just to be friendly, but oh my God, they have sex at the floor of a cathedral, Matthew.
0: Yeah, well their love is holy. It's a holy love. It's like <laughs> oh, it's like a re- the, the, their love making is like a religious act. That's why it's in the chat. So it's
2: kind of like a tantric sort of sex scene on the floor of this uh, Well, it's
0: it's a sort oh,
2: of no. it's a sort of
0: moment of him like finally is embracing hand love. Si- hand and, symbols and, and
2: music playing, or is it a pipe organ forgive, or
0: forgiving himself. Yeah, no, exactly. And and Maybe she's sort nerf.
2: of framed Maybe angelically. A maybe a nervous townsfolk in the back, still lighting communion offerings at the candles <laughs> in the far distance. Like kind of like, is that happening over there? <laughs> uh, I saw the Da Vinci code and it worked for them.
0: It's, it's a beautiful <laughs> moment. That's the moment people are going to look back on it. Be like, I've never seen a sex scene be so holy and even i think that the church <laughs> oh no the church community no, will even Matthew, be like wow no, this is Matthew. this is gonna be this is this is one for
2: the books I, you may have actually finally done it so you may have made the most shocking pitch that could have been imagined i can't imagine a more oh shocking i piece.
0: i wholly disagree this is this is tame this is a movie for kids oh uh, <laughs> Is it is it live action? Now I will say we will we will be seeing full penetration in that scene. Oh no, um, Matthew! Because, <laughs> oh. Well, because it's a it's a it's it's teaching it's teaching families that lovemaking can be a beautiful act. Um, that's that's
1: enough for me. This is getting I'm giving this a red <laughs> light, join- uh, which is also the district where this film will be shown.
2: <laughs> I'm gonna give this. Uh, I'm gonna give this one a Forty Second Street, circa 1984, which is the American only American theaters okay,
0: all that right. this
2: uh, film will the, be allowed the, to be shown in porno uh, theaters.
0: I think I think my art here is just not appreciated. I think in France this is gonna be a huge hit. They're gonna see the Cathedral of Notre Dame. They're going to see all this nudity, and it's going to be normal for so them. You're, you're know? telling and me this,
2: this is this is Charlie from Current Events. You're telling me that you're going to show this in a French theater in Cannes, and they're going to be like, ah, Notre Dame, live action burning. I love remembering how yeah, that happened.
0: Standing <laughs> ovation. I'm mean, going to get a standing ovation. We're going to get Lars Van Trier in to direct. Oh, I think he's going to be in, uh, our director in this
2: one. He'll do it
0: it's gonna be it's gonna be a hit i'm telling you right now so i i take your red lights that you've given me and i reject them
2: who is our uh, s- who's our uh quasimodo just curious
0: <laughs> uh, he'll be a cgi creature Oh no! No! <laughs> Much like Goro in the new uh, no. Mortal Kombat film, yeah, the he'll new be Mortal Kombat constructed no. entirely of
2: CG. Yeah, you're like has a minor disability, has four arms. These are the same things to this filmmaker. <laughs> oh all no! All right, so
0: so I think I crushed it. Uh, oh, what are the no. commonalities in these pitches? Uh, what, what what did we hear
2: that was uh, like? Oh no! I think they all started. From from unlikely places, right? Like I think mm. each story we looked at the smallest, most simple base uh origin for the characters. I know, albeit the the Hunchback in Notre Dame picture um starts from a very grandiose place to mirror that of its source material. But I think the I think at its core, like the Frollo is very innocent. Um the Sauron or Sor, Sor- Ron. Is very innocent in his love for the girl, and and I think definitely a little girl looking at the night sky from the face of a bayou, holding a a crocodile plush, is is a very innocent character. So we we challenged ourselves by starting at the beginning, and we 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 tracked that descent. Um, yeah, that's what I think.
0: Well, um, yeah, I mean, I think that I think that we all did. Uh, you see, you guys did a really good job of showing how kindness can turn to hate. Um, and mm-hmm. I just abandoned all pretense of trying to make uh, the character a villain in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you know, I think you guys did at least a, a really good job of of showing that kind of evolution of the characters. Uh, Sam, you. any um, any noted anything you noticed? Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm just surprised at how easy it is. You know, you understand yeah.
1: someone's motivations, you see how they came to be the way they are, and suddenly you're like, yeah conquer middle earth you know ship. or i uh, kidnap this young girl and make her hunt for treasure mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> or whatever uh, all right well
0: our as our final uh, part of this of this story i think it's it's we'll pass the duty to sam to bestow upon our almost entirely demolished um adaptation lounge uh which mostly just consists of a giant metal pinball crushing uh, various <laughs> objects um, Sam, you may bestow an item to be crushed by the pinball in our adaptation lounge. Uh, what do you bestow unto us?
1: Um, I'm going to do a, uh, a sensory deprivation oh. tank um, so people can cleanse themselves after watching <laughs> The <Huckback laughs> of Notre Dame or, uh, or the movie Justice. I'm sorry, is the title. They can
0: go and just isolate themselves from the entire universe for a little okay, while. Okay, sure. I'm hearing that. Um, all right, well... Um, I think that about wraps it up. Uh, Thank you for listening. Uh, People that are, that have somehow made it through all three of these pitches and uh, bye.